Well, as Pastor Scott said earlier in his welcome, today is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Why do we call it Palm Sunday? What's Palm Sunday all about? Palm Sunday is the Sunday before the Sunday of Easter that churches all around the world commemorate and celebrate the day that Jesus made what was called the triumphal entry, the, uh, the day he entered into the big city of Jerusalem, right? And he comes marching in, and when they came in, the crowds greeted him as a, as a, as a coming Messiah. Bl- Hosanna, they said, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they laid down palm branches for him to ride in on. And that's where we get the nickname Palm Sunday. This begins Holy Week. Today we begin thinking about the road, you call it Jesus Passion Week, as he goes to Good Friday and ultimately the resurrection of Easter Sunday. So the text today, to get us thinking about Palm Sunday, the text is John chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 20. I'll give you a second to turn there. John chapter 12. We'll start in verse 20. This is something Jesus said either on Palm Sunday or shortly after Palm Sunday. He would have said this. And before I read these verses, I want to say one more thing. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. For one thing, I'm not going to preach very long. I'm going to preach a shorter message. That that alone is, is very different, I know. But at the end of this message, I'm going to give what's called an invitation. Uh, Some preachers call it an altar call, a time of response. Uh, Today, and we had planned this for months and months, today was going to be a day where I'm going to, as clearly as I can, explain God's plan of salvation. And I'm believing that at the end of this, I'm not going to talk long, at the end of my talk, I'm going to give an invitation for you. If you've never been saved, or you've, you've, you've never, you know, different preachers have different language. You've never asked Jesus into your heart, or ask Jesus to become your personal Lord and Savior. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or, or you'd say, I've never been saved, or I don't know that today would be the day of your salvation, that today you'd cross over from darkness to light, death to life. And I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's what's coming at the end of this message, and I'll even give you the church phone number you can call right now, and we've got ministers ready to uh, receive your, your, your calls as you talk that through. Okay, getting ahead of myself. John chapter 12 Start in verse 20. This is what Jesus said. Now, John says, Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. What is this feast he's talking about? The feast of Passover. Remember, all these folks are going to flood Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, and there were also some Greeks. It doesn't mean necessarily they were from Greece. He's talking about Gentiles, people who were not ethnically Jewish, but maybe they'd heard about Jesus. They'd, they'd heard about this, uh, this Jesus of Nazareth. So these men, verse 21, came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. There it is. They'd heard about his ministry, and now Jesus' ministry is expanding from the people of Israel to the whole world. So Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. When Jesus hears that the Greeks now want to get in on this, that even people who are not ethnically Jewish are now... Remember, Jesus' ministry starts with the children of Israel, but his ministry was meant to go to the world. And he knew this could only mean one thing. When the Gentiles now want in on this, it can only, and the, the, their words must have rung like a shot through Jesus. 
because of what he says. Over and over in the Gospel of John, it's like, a, like the ringing of a bell. His hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. All through the Gospel of John, in the first 12 verses, we hear that refrain, right? He would do a miracle, and he'd say, wait a minute, my hour has not yet come. Or, the, or one time, they tried to kill him. The chief leaders tried to, tried to stone him. They tried to kill him, but it said Jesus got away because his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. And now, when the Greeks hear it at Passover, hey, we want to know. Jesus answered them, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he gives a little picture of what this means. Now, we who are Christians today, we look back on this verse and it's obvious. What he's talking about is his death, burial, and resurrection. Remember, John is 21 chapters long. Twelve chapters are all we get on his life and his good teachings. He was a prophet. Uh, he was a healer. He did so many good things. But most of all, he came what? He came to die for our sins and to be raised again. That, that fir first twelve chapters is what we get on what a good person he is and what a good example and what a good healer. But the rest is his true mission. And he gives a little parable about his mission. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's a simple parable. What does it mean? Well, Jesus, like that kernel of wheat, he has a right standing with God. He's okay with God, right? Sin has never, never separated him from God. And so he could remain alone and just go back to heaven and be with God forever and ever. But if he did, he would remain alone. He'd be the only one in heaven because he's the only one without sin. But if he gives himself up, if he goes into the ground, which he's literally going to do, he's going to give himself up on the cross and go into the grave, what happens? Many can come to life. That kernel of wheat can burst forth with much fruit. And many can be saved if he'll do that. He says that's not only what he's going to do, but that's what followers of Jesus are going to have to do. Look at verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does that mean? It doesn't mean literally one must hate his life life uh, to get eternal life it, it's a Hebrew saying the idea here is that your love for God is so great that it makes everything else look like hatred in comparison that you are willing to die to yourself so that others might live if anyone serves me he says in verse 26 he must follow me and where I am there my servant will be also if anyone serves me the father will honor him and now, though John doesn't give us the detail that the other Gospels give about his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, we get a taste of it here in verse 27. Now, Jesus says, is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Now, before this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, in these verses, there's some complex stuff here, right? I mean, here, I believe, is contained some deep, truths of the gospel, and I want to unpack them, but I realize it's not going to be easy. I mean, uh, 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 we've got folks here that are watching this that are little children. Uh, we've got folks that are grown up. We've got folks that grew up in church. We've got some people that, are, that have never been to church, and maybe they're new to all this stuff and all that, so how am I going to explain these deep truths of the gospel? And that's when I realized I'm probably not the best person to explain these truths. A friend of mine can do it better. And so I want to introduce, I've uh, invited here today a friend of mine. He, uh, we actually are childhood friends. We go way back, almost 40 years. We met on Christmas Day. 
Christmas Day 1981. Can you imagine? And like a lot of childhood friends, we got a lot of scrapes and stories together. Uh, he actually stayed in Murray, Kentucky when I went off. I went off to seminary and then uh, as I began, actually he moved to New York City uh, not uh, a few years into my ministry there. And now he's back in Coleman, Alabama. And so help me welcome, we brought him here. Help me welcome my friend here. And he's here. There you go. <laughs> my childhood friend. Now his name is George. You might not be able to see on the screen, but here, very maybe you can just barely see it's faded. I used to not have to tell people his name was George. His full name's Curious George. Uh, I used to not have to tell people because this shirt used to be bright red, and in bright gold letters it said Curious George, broadcast to the world. Now you can't see it anymore. It's very faded. His, uh, as you can see, he is pretty well, uh, well worn. His fur is all ragged. His hat no longer the, the you know, he used to have that nice flat bill. Uh, no more. His face is all squished in. What's left of it? You know, there's there's parts of him that are just. I mean, that's not normal. Okay, no no shoulder in monkey or human or doll should ever be able to do that. Uh, he's got some rips, some tears. There's some some some. There's a hole here. Like you shouldn't be able to stick your hand. In. His stuffing is coming out. Worst of all, his face. This eye. What's left of it is all crusty. These noses have been glued on. The little nostrils have been glued on. Mostly, they're just probably super glue and rubber cement right now. Uh, pretty well squashed and, and got rips and tears, uh, faded. Uh, he's probably full of disease. I, you know, as a kid, think about this. I had a sandbox in the backyard we played in, a sandbox in the backyard, and we also had cats. So do the math. He's been exposed to every disease known to man. Uh, if, if Curious George were lined up in a row of toys at the toy store, and we had all these brand new dolls, these brand new Curious Georges, who would pick this one? No one. No one would, no kid would say, oh yeah, give me that ratty, nasty adult. No, they'd want the bright, shiny new one, of course. Some of you know already where I'm going with this. Some of you can relate to George here. Now, what did I say this has to do with John 12? What do I say this has to do with the gospel? Well, let's start talking about why that kernel of wheat had to fall to the ground and die. Some of you can relate to George. If you were honest, you've got some scrapes, you've got some scars, you've got some rips, you've got some tears. And like George, your issues, your wounds are visible to the world. The whole world can see them. If you're an addict and you're wrestling with addiction and, and say you've lost your family and your life is in shambles and everything's falling apart around you, then you're like George. Everybody can see your wounds. Everybody, the world, the whole world can see your sins. If you've, you know, you've been to prison or you've, you've failed in some really public way and the whole world got to watch your downfall, your marriage imploded in front of all your friends and extended family and everybody saw it, you feel like George. You've got these wounds, these hurts. People have sinned against you and you've sinned and the world can see it. Others of you, others of you are just like George here, except nobody can see your wounds. You're not a visible wounded person, invisible. You've got the same scars and rips and tears and hurts and hang-ups, and yet, on the outside, it's a perfect smile. Everything looks good on the outside. Externally, everything's fine, but internally, you've got rips and tears and wounds and you're trying to convince yourself that you have great worth, and you're trying to, and, and listen, we'll do anything. When we realize we, we like George, are, are filled with these rips and tears and scars and hurts, we'll do anything to cover it up. I mean, we'll, we'll tear a hole in somebody else if we think it'll make us feel better about our own tears. We'll, we'll rip the stuffing out of somebody else if it makes us feel 
better about our own. And, and we'll try to fill our own stuffing. We'll try to fill with anything, with, with, a, with a new phone or a new toy or a new house, with, a, with an addiction or a, or, or, or a new relationship. We'll do anything to fill this emptiness. Now, the Bible says we shouldn't be surprised by that. If I'm talking to you right now in a way that you go, hey, wait a minute, that, that sounds like me. I've got, these, I've got these rifts and these tears and these, I, I feel this distance from God. When I think about God, I don't feel close to him at all. I feel far away. I feel guilt. Well, the Bible has an explanation for that. We don't necessarily like to talk about this, but the Bible's, the Bible's explanation totally makes sense. The Bible says, listen, the reason you feel separated from God is because in sin you are, in fact, separated from God. It says no one is excused from this. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3. It says there's no one righteous, not even one. In other words, no one has that perfect connection to God. And all of us have these sins and wounds and secret sins and visible and invisible. He says there's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and they've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Now, that may sound harsh, but... It does explain the evil in the world. Anytime there's a mass shooting or one of these school shootings, what do the people always say on the news? They always say, we've got to stop this senseless violence. This is useless. This is worthless. And they're exactly right. That's what the Bible says. When we decided to be our own God, when we rebelled against God, we became senseless. He's the only one with any worth. And so when we disconnect from God, it's no wonder we feel worthless. Now, I hope some of you know where I'm going with this. So far, this sounds like pretty bad news. The idea is that we're pretty, we're pretty torn up. We're pretty beat up. Some of us have done a good job of hiding it from the world. Others of us have done a bad job of hiding it from the world. But we got these scars. We got these sins. We got these wounds. And the Bible says we got to look in the mirror. We can't just say it's other people who've sinned against me. No, it's me. I've done the sinning. I'm guilty of this. And a lot of these wounds in my own life are because I've wounded, and I've, I've wounded others, right? We've got to admit that. That's bad news, but there's one thing you need to know about this old, filthy old doll, this beaten-up doll, and it's where this message hinges. You ready? Well, this doll is beaten up, and this doll probably wouldn't be picked in a row of toys where every, every other doll was new and in good shape. But there's one thing you need to know about this. He's beaten up, he's scarred, he's ripped, he's got the stuffing pulled out of him. But there's one more fact about him. He's mine. And I wouldn't trade him for anything. I wouldn't give him up for anything. Though he's ripped and though he's torn, he's loved. He's mine. Let me explain a truth about the gospel you need to hear clearly. The gospel is more. What do I mean by that? You need to see that on the one hand, you are more sinful than you ever wanted to admit. You are more filled with wickedness and evil than you wanted to admit. You are more in need of repentance than you could possibly know. More. You're more sinful than you wanted to admit. And at the same time, you are more loved than you ever dreamed possible. However much you think God loves you, it's more. We are at the same time more sinful than we want to admit, and we are loved to the stars. Filled with rips and tears, but he's mine. 
Have you felt that? Has there ever come a point in your life where you felt the arms of God reach down? And I mean, he could have, right? God could have said, well, they're, they're ripped and they're torn and they brought it on themselves. It's their own fault. But is that what God said? No, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, God... At Christmas, right, in the incarnation, God sent Jesus. He was born in a manger, born in Bethlehem. He grew up and he lived a sinless life. And when he died on the cross for us, he died in our place. It was like God wrapping his arms around saying, you're mine. Now, here's where the analogy breaks down. If I wanted to repair George, let's talk about repairing our lives. If I wanted to repair George, oh, it probably wouldn't cost that much. I could find somebody to sew George up. I could find somebody, just some needle thread and just a few minutes, they could probably sew him up and repair him. I could get somebody maybe to, to dust him off and to, to put fresh uh, uh, color into his, his uh, shirt there. I, it wouldn't cost too much. But here's where the analogy breaks down. What does it cost to repair a human being? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've been cut off from our Heavenly Father. How do we get human life back? Well, for that, we go back to John 12. That, of course, must be dealt with God's way. And the only way to win back a human being, the only way to repair back, repair a human being, is for the sinless, spotless Lamb of God to die in our place and for our sake. That's what Jesus meant when he said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Since the wages of sin is death, and since God is a just judge, he can't just sweep sin under the rug. He's got to deal with it. And so, so for our rips to be mended, his body had to be ripped on the cross. For, for, to heal the tears in our life, his body was torn. To deal with the loneliness in our life, he had to stretch out his arms and die alone. To repair the abuse in our life, he had to absorb all the abuse. He had to absorb the evil. And that's what he dreaded as he, as he knew in less than a week he would go to the cross. As he looked and thought, he looked into the future and thought about what it meant to bring back the humans, to rescue and to redeem and to save the humans, what it would cost. He knew. And that's why he said in verse 27, now is my soul troubled. Listen, a lot of people go to their death as martyrs and they face death bravely and with courage. Jesus faced death with brave, with, 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 with lots of courage, but it wasn't just that he was afraid of physical death, not at all. He knew that he was dying in place of sinful humanity, and that means he knew he was going to bear the wrath of God. He was going to be the ultimate sacrifice that had to bear the wrath of God. That's what he was dreading. That's what he's praying. Should I be... Should I be spared from this? I mean, I mean, should I ask God, let this cup pass from me? Who can drink this cup of wrath? No. No, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus realized, no, this is why I came. I'll be lost so that the people can be saved. What we're going through right now actually gives us a, a perfect analogy. You know, I've, I've heard uh, folks say, about people they love that are at risk of getting this disease. I, I wish it would take me and, and, and spare them. Let's ponder that just hypothetically for a moment. What if you knew, what if you knew that you could somehow fall on that virus and absorb that virus if you knew for certain that your family would be spared? Would you do it? 
There are many people that said absolutely they would, especially you know, you know, parents for their children and so forth, uh, uh, for people you love. Yes, I would fall on that if it would spare people I love. Okay, okay. Let me ask you this. What about for a total stranger? Would you have the virus ravage your body if you knew that a total stranger would be healed? Someone you've never met and never would meet? Well, I have to think about that. I don't know that I would do that for a total stranger. Okay, what about this? Would you do it for an enemy? Someone who is actively trying to harm you, actively trying to hurt you, would you fall on that virus and say, let it ravage my body so that my enemy could go free? Would you do that? Few of us would. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. Look at Romans 5, 7, and 8. Think about how it says this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While Jesus is hanging there on the cross, people are spitting on him and mocking him. And what's his response? Father, forgive him. No, while we were in active hostility toward God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is not waiting for you, in other words, to get cleaned up and then you can come to God. No, while you're in your broken state, while you are hurt, God wants today to let you know that while you are still sinners right now, he loves you. And Christ died for you. Have you responded to this good news? Have you received this? Look, I don't know how many times in a generation you get something like this. You get sort of this divine wake-up call, this, this divine disruption. And it could be that God is speaking to you. And if, if you'd say, you know, this has made me think more about my mortality. This has made me think more about what's really important. Today might be the day. In fact, I plead with you that today is the day that you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So what I want to do, I want to I lead you in a simple prayer. If you would say, you know, I don't know that I've been saved, or I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm saved, or I know for a fact I'm not saved. The fact is somebody's been praying for you because you're watching this video and you've gotten to this point in the message. In fact, somebody may have sent you this message on a YouTube link, or I don't know when you'll watch this, but... That means they love you. They care about you. I'm going to ask Chuck to come and help us with a time of response. This is what I was thinking. If you've never received Jesus, today's that day. You need to feel God wrapping his arms of love around you and saying, though you're broken, though you're wounded, you're mine. Though while you're still a sinner, you're mine. And I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Uh, I... If you're watching this on Palm Sunday, April 5th, 2020, I want you to know that I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer, and then after you pray, you can, you can get off your phone or get off your device and pick up the phone and call 256-734-5632. That's the church number. We've got ministers right now ready to talk you through and to process what you just prayed. But if you, whenever you're watching this, or if you're, if you're, if you're chatting in a, in a Facebook Live or a YouTube setting, you can just say, hey, I, I prayed this prayer. I, there's nothing magical about these words. In fact, I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer. If you would say, I've never been saved, but I, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. He rose from the dead, and I need to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I, uh, I just want to give you some simple words. I, the best analogy I can think of is when I do a wedding, the bride and the groom, they love each other, and they have the, the desire to get married. As a minister, then, they're, they're going to give vows to each other 
My job is what? I just help them with the words. That's all I do. I just lead them and give them a little words, and they repeat after me. This is between them. I just help them with the words. In the same way, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is between you and God. As a minister, I can just help you with the words, and you can just repeat these words after me. If that's you, if you need to receive him, just just bow your head. Just humble your heart right now and, and repeat these words after me. You might pray something like this. Dear God, dear God, just cry out to him. I believe that you made me. I believe that you made me. But my sins have separated us. But my sins have separated us. But I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. Just repeat that. And rose again on the third day. And rose again on the third day. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Come into my life and save me. Come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that, I want you to call this number. This 256-734-5632. If, if, if you prayed that today, April 5th, 2020, I want you to reach out. If you're going to watch this video at some time later in the future, uh, I want you to reach out to a Christian and let them know about your decision. Let them know that you received Jesus. We're trusting God for a great harvest in this time. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, I hope that today has been an encouragement to you. I hope that, uh, uh, you know, when I drive down the road and I hear my favorite song on the radio, I always do the same thing. I turn it up. I hope that when you hear the plan of salvation proclaimed, I hope you know you never graduate from the gospel. You never get too big uh, for the gospel. You never move on from the fundamentals of the gospel. And I hope when you hear anybody explain the plan of salvation, I hope it's like hearing your favorite song on the radio and you want to turn it up because you remember the day when you were lost. You remember the day when you knew you were torn. You remember the day when you knew you had no hope for eternity apart from God. And you remember the day when God, through the Holy Spirit, came and found you and made your dead heart beat again. And I hope when you think about the good news, I hope that the good news of the gospel is more precious to you today than it's ever been. And I'm going to close with a benediction. I can't wait. We're going to have a Good Friday service broadcast online. Lord willing, we're going to have Easter Sunday. And I know, I know, I know the churches are going to be empty on Easter Sunday. The buildings are going to be empty. And that can be discouraging. But if the enemy, if Satan, if that old liar comes to you this week and tries to discourage you and says, Hey, you know all the churches are going to be empty on Easter. You tell that old Satan, Yes, but so is the grave. That's why we're going to worship and we're going to proclaim his goodness and we're going to worship in spirit and in truth and nothing can stop the worship of Almighty God. We're going to have a benediction wherever you are in a kitchen or a living room or wherever you are. If you're able to stand, I want you to stand for the benediction. Stand in hope, stand in expectancy for what God's going to do in our midst this Holy Week. It's going to be different but God always, now he'll do that. God does a new thing. So here we go. Numbers 6 chapter is our benediction. We'll close with this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I love you. Have a great holy week.